0: The podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. When our backs were against the wall, and it looked as if it was old.
1: Stay for a little bit. I, I I got, so the etymology of the word worship, like the old English word is worth-ship, meaning that there's a value ascribed to the thing that you're lifting up. And so we move to a place of worship because we recalibrate our sense of value. What we understand is a worth and a value. And so we come to this place of worship. I don't want to belabor worship and make us stay in this place too long. However, when we say that we lift up one voice and worship, what we're saying is that we've, we've, Correctly calibrated ourselves to the values of this world, Amen. to the values of His kingdom, to the value of God and His sacrifice and what He's done to us. And so, I just want to say, real quickly, can we hear that one more time? Just one more time. One more time. One more time. One more time. Let's go. Come in and lift your voice with Let's me. Go. Say, shout it out
0: and lift the one voice in go, worship. worship sing it out of hallelujah hallelujah the earth. hallelujah he's worthy he's worthy he's, he's worthy. worthy that's why we worship jesus is a savior he's worthy he he's worthy. worship him here is hallelujah himself.
1: hallelujah
0: come on and shout Hear it. hey, say, Jesus is alive. And He says, He rescues and saves.
1: Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, Amen. I have a distinct privilege, and I got the honor um, to serve in two capacities here at the church. In one capacity, I serve as associate pastor here, primarily focused on working with the youth. And the second capacity, I work at Our City, which is our neighborhood development corporation uh, center. And, and the, the the impetus or even the birth of this particular position that I hold is birthed out of a theology that we hold at this church. Is that our that our theology is one that like that, that is informed by, of course. Um, doctrine and, 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 and education and all the things that we learn, but also that the seminaries of the streets, the seminaries of our neighborhoods, the seminaries of, of, of the, of, of the mothers sitting on the porches that we walk by, that we learn and we see God because theology is simply the study of God. And there is no better place to study God than by, within the people of God, right? Amen. And so this is what we do at our city is that we get to study God. We get to experience God when we experience our neighborhood, when we engage in our neighborhood. And so, so much of what we do with our city is to be both in the pulpit, both in the pews, but to see the, 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 the classrooms and the desks there transform into pews, to see the mothers in the neighborhood to turn into the elders of the neighborhood, of our church, and to broaden the boundaries and the, 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 the walls of our community, of our church. And the way to do that is to engage the church that God has established here in Humble Park, that the neighborhood of West Humble Park has a community of individuals that are already seeking and seeing the face of God, and that we get to come alongside our neighbors to engage with them and to love them and to be with them in the spaces of worship. Amen? I mean, this is why we focus so hard on worship here. This is why we focus so hard on worship here, because at the end of the day, that that we can only see God if we can understand his value. Amen? Amen. So I have the privilege of inviting up my friend um, someone who's lived in this neighborhood for 14 years, someone I've worked alongside, my co-director, my director. Um, she's, uh, she's an amazing woman whose work has been manifest through, through her life. And so it's not a vocational um, job for her to do neighborhood development. This is, this is the life that she lives. And she's an example to us all, and I'm thankful to be able to invite her up. Proud to call him our friend and definitely blessed to be able to work with her in our city. I'm going to invite our executive director up, Elizabeth Gaelic.
2: Hello, everyone. Um, I'm here today as, as Brandon said, the executive director of, uh, of our city, which means that I didn't actually go to seminary and I don't have access to the fancy Logos Bible software that everyone else does. Um, so the disclaimer for you is that basically the only thing I know really well is this neighborhood. Um, it's the only place I've ever been an adult. Um, came here right out of, out of college. And then if you make the skill even less transferable, I'm a transplant to this neighborhood. So I'm not even legit Humboldt Park. But, um, but the one Sunday possibly that this is useful is today at Our City Sunday at River City. Um, so here you go. This one, River City, is for you. Here we are three years after entering this building on Grand Avenue in West Humboldt Park, Chicago, 27th Ward, 25th Police District. Here we are a block from Cameron Elementary School with its nearly 800 vibrant, audacious, and resilient students. Hey, hey. Here we are at the uniquely precious intersection of black, brown, and white, a community for whom mass incarceration and just policing and the Jones Act and immigration legislation are more than just public policy issues. As Jesenia mentioned, they are the hearts and faces of loved ones with names like Charles and Glendora and Rose and Tanya. Here we are in a community of cousins and siblings, sons and daughters who have been rocked to their core over natural disasters close to the heart, a community determined and united to give everything it can for friends and family in Puerto Rico, Dominica, and Mexico. Here we are. Here we are among neighbors whose resilience, strength, and endurance cannot be underestimated, who celebrate birthdays and anniversaries big, late into the night dancing over a child who has made one or a grandmother who has made 90. Here we are in a community for whom the milestones come as triumph over the odds. Because the statistics would tell us that here we are, with our back door Opening to the police beat with the very highest number of homicides in all of Chicago in the last year. Let's see if the slides work. This is the moment. Police beats, by the way, are not very large areas. You could walk through them easily. And this is where we are, and beat 1112, out of the last 365 days, has lost the most to homicide. The urine on our front ramp and the person doing cocaine on our steps midday, and the rappers in the alley, and the constant presence outside the methadone clinic down the street would tell us that we are here among souls rocked by heroin. We are here in a beat that beats out anywhere else in Chicago for the number of drug arrests. And the most pressing research on addiction would tell us that that means that here we are, surrounded by people who feel so alone and so isolated that they cannot bear it and others who cannot find any safe way to get clean. And in what is the most egregious offense of the community, we are here where you put six flower pots of mums out on Grand Avenue and someone steals three. I mean, that's just petty, wouldn't you say? Petty, really. Here we are. Here we are two years into our city. Here we are with a pathway not fully paved but at least outlined from kindergarten to career. Here we are with a staff of nine, they're coming, hold on, with a combined 60 years of experience in urban youth work, and a combined 37 years of experience in this direct community. Here we are, having been blessed by over 200 youth through our doors, and the trial and error of many, many iterations of successful and not very successful ideas tried to best suit our youth. Here we are in this very season with 25 children coming home to us after school four out of five days of the week. Here we are with 27 junior hires surging far past the capacity of our homework sessions and requesting mentorship. Here we are with dozens of adolescents and teens seeking apprenticeships, at least two interviewing for every one spot we have available. Here we are. The passage we are about to go into is simply the next one in our series in Acts, a description of the very earliest days of the church immediately following Pentecost. But I believe, standing where we are, this is the vision that we must pursue in the next year of community development. I believe that the actions described here are foundational to ministry in this community, and without them, any path that we build from cradle to career will be thin and prone to frequent potholes and fissures possibly similar to Grand Avenue outside. And everyone who's exasperated, say amen. So let's stand for the word of the Lord from Acts 2. This is just after the Pentecost event. So these verses you see here are not actually our text. This is the end of Pentecost. So I want you to get the idea that this is a church that's newly formed, people who have possibly never known each other before Pentecost. We can go to the next one. So you see, at the, yep, perfect. at the end of the Pentecost section, it says, Those who, were, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And this is our section on the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Isn't this this beautiful picture of the church? It tends to start to uh, look like utopia, and it's easy to forget that they're in the same political climate that recently crucified Jesus. So not really a utopian existence, but what God was doing among them was so amazing that they were filled with joy and awe, and many were added to their number. Often as I've heard this passage preached, I've heard the sermon draw out the most counter-cultural part as the one on money. The believers had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And you may be expecting that that would be my meditation for today, since there is another offering coming. But I don't think, actually, that this is the main mark of the early church or the greatest message to us today. The hinge of it all is in one word, devotion. Now, since I don't have the logo software, I use the free Greek translate sites. So you may have to check it with Pastor Daniel afterwards. <laughs> but I spent a lot of time on my free sites. And the Greek word for devotion is something I can't come close to pronouncing and won't even try. But it's used twice in the, the um, text. Could I have that text back up? And the two ways it's used speak deeply to us today. The first we see, they devoted themselves. One slide back. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Here, devoted is used in the typical way, committed, right, strongly believing in, philosophically for these things. Um, The second does not translate in English, and it's on the next slide. It's in verse 46 where it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. It could possibly be translated continued together in the temple courts because the verb there is the same word for devoted. And do you see in this one, devoted means devoted not with your heart, but with your feet. Devotion was an action that walked them every single day. The King James translates it as steadfastly continuing. Used in this way, we see that it is an orientation of the heart that is carried out repeatedly in the actions of our hands and feet. There was a song that I learned when I was young in Bible school, and it was written in my Bible for years, and it said, I can't go with you and stay where I am. By nature of definition, devotion is not devotion unless executed. We are not moved by God until we have moved. And actually, the definition of devotion takes it even one step further because it's an ongoing verb. I'm sure there's like a name for that verb tense somehow. But it's an ongoing verb that means steadfastly continuing. It's not one solitary action. It is not one march. It is not one post. It is not one stand or act or letter. It is ongoing. Devotion changes your life because it is every day woven throughout every action even those who don't seem to have to do with the action at all. It reminds me of those of you who are running the marathon next week. Maybe maybe Rob doesn't have to train that hard, but I'm betting that for the rest of us, it takes over your whole life, right, Brooke? That every choice you make is thinking about the marathon that's coming and whether it's going to impact you positively or negatively. This is what devotion is. Devotion is a powerhouse word in itself, urging us to respond to God, but it becomes unstoppable when it's paired with the next one you see it says every day they continued together together in the temple courts this this phrase is also a little bit watered down in the English um, the together means united for a single purpose it was used to describe the believers in the room before Pentecost when they were praying earnestly for God to come It describes a unanimous group decision, if there's a vote and everyone decides together. Or in the negative, it's used for riots. The stoning of Stephen was devoted action that was united. The riot against Paul, the same verb. A group that is devoted and united, steadfastly continuing one accord, is as close to human beings come to being unstoppable. So if we look at the passage Devotion is action, not just belief. The action is sustained action, not one time or sporadic. The sustained action is in unison, not individuals or fragments. And so this devoted church that daily added people to their number was one united to engage in sustained action for one purpose. This is the greatest power that we see among us in our world. And so it's important what we are devoted to. Amen? The stoning of Stephen is not the effect that we want to see when we are devoted and united. And so we start to look at what they were devoted to. First, they were devoted to seeing God's movement around them. They were devoted to prayer and the apostles' teaching. And they were in awe at the wonders that God was doing. They were not going to miss where he was moving among his people. So they were devoted to having their eyes open. They were devoted to unity with one another. Um, Those of you who have people over to your homes know that this is about the most intimate thing that you can do with people you don't know, is to open your table, to open your home, to shove all the toys under the couch, bust out whatever you have, canned goods in the pantry if you're me. Um, And they were devoted to this, to eating with one another and to being together. They were devoted to eyes open and hands linked. And then they were devoted to being present in the heart of the community. That verse 46 that we already looked at, I can imagine that they would have gotten everything they needed from their time together in their homes. They would have been filled to overflowing with prayer and teaching and the power of the Spirit and people who loved them. And they would have been saturated with all the best that church can be. And yet, every day, They went out to the temple courts. They went out to the temple courts that had proved very dangerous for their Savior ahead of them. They went out to the temple courts where they knew that there were people who did not believe them. Every day, they went out among the heart of their community. And once they were there, oh, people of God, they were blessed. In the very next passage, the apostles encounter some beggars at the door, and they have nothing to offer him, nothing to address his situation but they pray, and God moves in wonder, and everyone witnesses in awe God coming down and healing this man that he loves. Do you think they went home that day and thought, I really wish we didn't have to go to the temple courts? No, because they had seen God move in power there in a way that they would never have seen him move in their homes. They were devoted to eyes open, hands linked, and feet present. And then the last piece, the scary piece, they sold property and possessions. Um, one of the words says goods, which I think clarifies for us that they were continuing on in their business practices, right? You eventually run out of goods. Um, and so just a sidebar here, um, to affirm all of you who spend your lives in the workplace like my husband does, this was necessary to the early church, um, your feet are present in our world, amen, every day. And your, when you produce goods, it is necessary for the whole. Your life marks the kingdom. And so as I go on and talk about the devotion of the church, I want all of you who work in a quote-unquote normal place to hear that affirmation that that is so important to the life of the church and to its witness. But this section, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need, You can see now, right, how this isn't some great shock at this point in the story. They had given God every moment of their lives. They had given him their homes, their beliefs and their theology, their public image, their allegiance and their schedules. They were devoted in the fullest way possible. Now imagine if you're with a group of people united toward one purpose, let's imagine marching toward a battle that you will need every soldier to win and the soldier next to you loses a shoe and you have three pair in your bag, what are you going to do? Give him the shoe, right? Because if you all die, your three pairs of shoes are not going to do you any good. It wouldn't even occur to you to not give it to him because your life is his life. Your success is his success. Your failure is his failure. The shoe is inconsequential. The outcome, the subject of your devotion, is what matters. And this is what possessions become among us in a devoted church, that they are items to be stewarded well and used to the greatest they can for the purpose. So we see that they had eyes open, hands linked, feet present, treasure offered. The magic of unified devotion is that the sum is far greater than the parts. The church was here in the temple courts every day, eating and praying together in the evenings, selling their goods and property to care for one another. Now, if we think this through, we know that no single person could have spent every day in the temple courts and, especially in the age of no instant cooking, prepared an evening meal for dozens and produced and sold goods. And yet together, devoted as one body, with each one doing their part, they could execute all of these. What it required from each of them was no more than they had individually to give, but it was also no less than they had within them to give. Those of you who know me um, know that I believe there is no greater power in the city than unified devotion expressed in presence. I start to sound like a broken record sometimes um, with my belief in presence But in this community, I've witnessed its power daily in the drug trade and in gang life. Just as in the stoning of Stephen, we see again and again in our city how a group unified and devoted for any purpose becomes nearly unstoppable. And yet, I have seen it stopped again and again through the power of Christ in unified, devoted followers. I heard it the first time from a teacher I worked with when I first came to the neighborhood. She would tell stories of her Mexican mother, a little old lady who lived across the street from a vacant lot, fully immersed in gang violence. It was a main gathering place for the drug trade in the neighborhood. She was determined and unafraid, and each time they would see the first gang member arrive, she would dial up all the other ladies from her parish and their priest, and they would hold an impromptu Spanish mass in the vacant lot. Now, can you imagine carrying out drug deals among grandmothers singing liturgy? Not for very long. And so day after day after day, the women assembled, ruthlessly fighting for the good. Eyes open, hands linked, feet present. I have seen on my own block a gang gathering displaced by a neighborhood ice cream party. I have had a young man move his crew from in front of my house out of the respect and love we mutually developed for one another in the youth programs when he was younger. I have seen children found in severe neglect situations because one of them happened to linger in the yard of believers using his presence, his feet to cry out, And I have seen children like these show God's kingdom to my own children in a way they never would have seen it otherwise. I have been interrupted on my walk home by the voice of God bringing attention to a woman on the corner, a woman who seven years later is a dear friend who we have walked through five pregnancies together, and for her two youngest that I serve as their godmom. She became one of my very greatest teachers in the community, faithfully showing me the children who live in abandoned houses all winter, their parents paying rent to the one who found the house first for their room that they share. She showed me the reality of mothers in labor alone at night, in city ERs, in wheelchairs with no one around them. She told me the reality that stands on my corner that I walk by every single day of women with too high of a debt placed on their head to be able to go to rehab and come back safely. If you only knew how many of the answers to questions people ask me actually come from her. This summer, our youth enacted the power of devotion again and again as they worked in community gardens. There's a a picture of our work crews. But in nearly every instance, the garden had been begun by a senior citizen that used to have a group of friends on the block, and they would all work together. But often they had moved away, and one woman or one man was left alone. And so day after day after day, our youth were devoted. And they showed up, and they brought hope and hands and hard work to come alongside the seniors who loved their block so much. They came with dusty eyes open, dirty hands linked, and mud-caked shoes present. But there's one story that stands out best in my mind when I think of the presence of unified devotion. It's perhaps because it's a story that began with my own healing. I had very recently um, exited a church body because of deep hurt And I was at home kind of reeling and wondering when or if God would ever use me again. How would I see him work in miraculous ways from my own living room? And I was home one afternoon praying when I received a call from a friend, an amazing young man of God from this community. Could he come and use my printer? My printer. It's a great one, apparently. He did. And what poured forth from him that day was a story of the great risk he was in. You see, before he became a believer, he and his brother had witnessed a murder at extremely close range. Knowing the gang members well, they knew exactly who had committed the murder. Our friend, though, still lived within the territory, as did members of his family. And when the time came to testify, they refused and paid for it with a felony charge for refusing to do so. That had been years before the day of the printer, some time ago. But since that time, he had become a believer. And ironically, the case had come back to court. The state's attorney called to confirm that he had for sure seen nothing. But our friend corrected him. He had become a believer, he told them, and he could no longer lie about what he saw that night. And so though, he, though it did nothing to reverse his conviction, he testified at the trial Staring into faces he knew by sight and name who threatened him at his every word. And then he returned to their neighborhood with his young daughter and continued walking the streets among those who had threatened to kill him. Thanking God that he could unstoppably bring his kingdom inside my very front room, we prayed. Oh, we prayed. We prayed for an intervention far above what any human could do, that God would protect him and his daughter who had been born within days of my own, that he and she would live and move and walk to church safely forever and ever. Amen. And no harm came. Day after day, week after week, no harm came. We know of no reason besides the awesome movement of God. But I can tell you this about the men who threatened him in court. They were known to God's people, and we were known to them. The gang leaders knew the believers of those blacks by name, and we knew theirs. They knew our stories, and we knew theirs. We had played together in fire hydrants. We had loved their children day after day after day in our youth programs. We had co-hosted a black party, which in retrospect was a dubious choice that I wouldn't recommend and we had co-hosted the funerals of their young men who were beloved to us all. Their barbers had cut our leader's hair at the barber shop, and one time, one of their leaders um, walked me home safely because I was a woman at night. And I'll leave it to you to decide whether that was more or less safely than I could have walked on my own. And while any one of these daily acts of presence seems inconsequential, they add up to a sum of shared life that perhaps, just perhaps, was weighty enough for God to use to buy our friend safe passage. Eyes open, hands linked, feet present, even in unlikely places. And the result is hearts that are in awe of what God can do. And now, River City, our story here is still being written. Chapter 3, the third year. What stories can we begin now that will leave us in awe of God in a decade? Could we have weekly morning coffee with the factory workers that sit on our steps at 8.30 every morning and come to such a place in their lives and ours that we share birthday parties and baby showers? Could we take an afternoon or evening and bring all of our children to unite with neighbors at a park that everyone is afraid to go to and by sheer numbers reclaim the park for the good of God? Could we make friends with the Cameron junior hires, becoming faithful adults at their lunch hours or their school events? Could we greet every parent who enters our face with a smile, with a River City believer longing to know them better? Could we eat our Sunday lunches within walking distance of this space where we could know people who will become deeply beloved among us? I know that when we look at the statistics, we don't have answers. I know that we have a greater need of learning from this community than we have anything to bring to it. I know that we will come face-to-face with the work of the enemy that exceeds anyone's capacity to fight it. But that is as it should be, because we will also come face-to-face with those in this community with the faith and the capacity to teach us. There's a quote that says, compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It is a relationship between equals. Only when we know our own darkness well can we be present with the darkness of others. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. And in our shared darkness, church, we come face to face with the awesome wonders of the light of God. We need this. We need the awe of God that comes from being present in his work in our community. We need the faith of the people who walk among 12 murders and countless gunshots every year. We need to witness the movement of God to free people from addiction. We need to feel his love be in our hearts and hands as we work alongside the children who reflect his love back to us in their beautiful eyes every moment. And so now we come to the table of communion. It's the place where we see our darkness clearly. And then we enter in awe to the level ground at the foot of the cross. It's fitting that we respond here. We respond as the early church did, with hands linked in the fellowship of the cup and the bread. We respond in worship and prayer with eyes open for what God is saying to us and around us. And today on Our City Sunday we have the opportunity to commit to feet present or treasure offered. There's a station on each side, and in your bulletins you find a card and an envelope that talks about the different ways that you could use your feet or your treasure to intercede on behalf of our community. The Acts passage talks of believers selling goods and possessions to give to those among them who had need, This year for our city, there's 70,000 yet needed this year. 12,000 goes directly to the homes of our youth as stipends for the hard work of devotion they do to serve the children and the seniors of our community. There's a significant portion for insurance, and the rest of that 70,000 provides for our team that is present here every day of the week welcoming people into this space. So here we are, River City, right now and right here. May God open our eyes, link our hands, move our feet, and open our treasures.
0: is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling.